But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 tonight. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 through verse 25. I love this passage as we've been uh, looking at changed lives by Christ's advent. Changed lives uh, by Christ's first coming into the world. And uh, we're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. We're looking at Joseph tonight. We've looked at a few others already. And uh, we're going to look at Joseph and uh, his perspective and uh, what happened in his life. And so let's read Matthew chapter number 1. Verse 18 down through verse 25. And notice with me, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The title of the message is Committed to God's Providence. Committed to God's Providence. Now, oftentimes in our lives... The Lord's providence brings a great change um, in ways that we don't always expect. We've probably all experienced events or news that changed our future or changed how we saw certain things or uh, just the details of maybe even one day. Providence often sets us in a direction that we did not anticipate at all. And this is all true because the Lord, He is the sovereign over our life. He's the sovereign of this world. He's the one who's in control. He's the one uh, who governs, and he even governs in our own life by his providence. And oftentimes that brings about change, that understand is always for our good and also for his glory, chiefly. When we think about how God brought us to salvation, that is the greatest good that could have ever happened to us, isn't it? The greatest change that could have ever happened to us in our life. And this change... By conversion, we must understand it is one of providence. I love what John Flavel said, the Puritan of years ago. He said, A remarkable performance of providence for the people of God is the ordering of the occasion, instrument, and means of their conversion. In nothing does providence shine forth more gloriously. Uh, How many of us are thankful for that? It was providence that brought Christ into the world, and it was providence that brought us to Christ. And so this truly changes a person's life. Now, this is what we see through the Bible as we've been looking at some of the immediate people that were influenced and impacted by the arrival of Christ into the world, people who were changed by the advent of Christ. Now, not only were they changed spiritually, they they were converted people, they were believers, and so with the arrival of the Savior into the world, that, that was something anticipated, that was something that would affect them not only in a spiritual sense, but also just in the rest of the life that they lived out. So they were changed in their earthly life as well as their spiritual life going forward. And we've already considered Zechariah and Elizabeth and how 
Christ's arrival changed them through the, them being able to uh, have the child of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. We looked Sunday at the Virgin Mary, how that impacted her, uh, how that she's a young uh, girl, probably 15, 16 years old, and she's told you're going to give birth to the Messiah, a virgin, never been with a man. And so this changed her life. But now we come to looking at uh, the viewpoint from Joseph. We look at how the coming of Christ impacted Joseph's life. So let's think about him for a moment. Who was this man? Well, he was your average Jewish man that in that day he uh, lived in the region of Galilee, probably the town of Nazareth, just like Mary was, uh, where his future wife was. He was a carpenter uh, who no doubt probably a hard worker at his trade. He was one who could uh, work in construction, work with wood, uh, and that sort of thing. He, like Mary, was not very wealthy, didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, but he was of the royal lineage of David, as this chapter brings to our attention here in the book of Matthew. He was a faithful man to God. Our text tells us that he was a just man. It means he sought to do what was right. He was one who uh, evidently tried to abide by God's law and God's word, uh, and so he's a young Jewish man, and what's every young Jewish man got his eyes uh, on the lookout for? Well, they're looking for a young Jewish girl, right? They're looking to, for, to, for marriage, uh, a woman who would be the right partner for, them, for him in marriage. And, and so this is what we find happening here in the life of Joseph. There in Nazareth was a girl that he had looked for, and her name was Mary, and that's who's going to be his wife. But we notice as we look at our text, they were betrothed. Joseph was betrothed to Mary. Now let's think about this for a moment. Was this a coincidence or providence that Joseph and Mary are uh, betrothed to be together? Coincidence or providence? What do you think? Providence, right? It was providence that Mary is to be Joseph's future wife. Just as it was providence that Mary is the one who's going to give birth to the Messiah. And so Joseph is committed to Mary. Mary's committed to Joseph. Their marriage day is ahead of them with hopeful expectation. All looks great, right? But then God's providence brought a major change to the future for both of them. News would come to Joseph that would essentially turn his world upside down in his mind until a little bit later. That news was the news that Mary his betrothed to be wife, is pregnant. Is pregnant. Now, we think about God's providence of that in that and how Joseph would respond to that and how he would be changed. So notice in our notes here tonight, notice a few things I want to point out from our text. The first thing I want to bring our attention to is the turmoil in Joseph's heart, the turmoil that must have been in Joseph's heart. Now, here's, here's what troubles him. It's the news of Mary conceiving. That troubles Joseph. The news of Mary conceiving that troubled Joseph. Now, Matthew gives us the backdrop of Jesus' birth differently than Luke does in the gospel, his own gospel account. Matthew lays out a lineage for Jesus that goes through the royal line of David all the way back to Abraham. But Matthew's focus is not on Mary, all right? Matthew's focus is on Joseph. And I'm thankful that God providentially did it that way. He gives us these different authors who give us different angles and looks at the Gospels and how things fit together and what they would have experienced. So with Matthew's account here in verse 18, notice how he picks up. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
And I pause and think, in what way? Well, in a way that only God's providence could have orchestrated. In a way that only God could have brought it to pass. You see, Christ is coming into the world to a family that was just about to begin their life together. These two people are not even married yet fully, though they are planning to be married. As we know, the Bible says here they were betrothed together. And uh, we have an idea what that means. It was like an engagement, but more serious and more binding. You know, in our culture, you, you typically have two people that get together and they fall in love. And, and uh, then usually the boy will try to ask the father for their hand in marriage. And if he says yes, he'll get him a wedding ring. And then pop the big question, will you marry me, right? Uh, that was probably the most, one of the most nervous moments of my life when I had to ask Bethany that question. I knew I had to do it, uh, but it, man, I dreaded, uh, dreaded it. I knew what the answer was going to be, but it was something that, you know, you just get nervous about. But it was in this time frame of their life, we could call it an engagement, but Scripture calls it a betrothal. It's more serious than engagement. At, at this time frame of their life, that Joseph and Mary, that they received news about the coming of Christ, that Mary would give birth. Now, this timing may seem to be inconvenient, but it's actually the perfect timing. It's actually the only timing that would work to fulfill all that God had said needed to be fulfilled. When we think about this, the mother of the Messiah had to be a virgin. We discussed that on Sunday morning. The announcement and conception of Jesus were meant to happen at this exact moment in Mary and Joseph's life during their betrothal period. It couldn't have come afterwards, after they'd been married and been together, would have nullified what was needed. It had to happen at this specific point in time. And so this betrothal, understand, it was, it was an important time period for them in that uh, Jewish culture. Um, here's just a little information about that. We know that in order to break that off required divorce, but some young men may have been able to choose their bride-to-be, but customarily in that, age, in that day and time, the parents of the young man chose a young woman to be engaged to their son. We might think of the Old Testament, how that uh, Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, right? So you see some of that in the Jewish culture of that ancient day. But there was a second stage of betrothal involving official arrangements and a prenuptial agreement before witnesses, which was legally binding, a legally binding contract that could only be broken by a formal process of divorce. And uh, so during that betrothal time, the husband, he would typically be uh, preparing a home, preparing for the festivities, preparing all the things that are needed for this marriage. And typically, that betrothal time period would last around a year. Okay, so you've got about a year time frame uh, where they're betrothed together. And so what you'll find during this betrothal period is that both people are referred to as spouses, even though the marriage has not been solidified and consummated yet. You notice in verse 19 that Matthew calls Joseph her husband, her husband. And likewise, Mary would have been considered his wife. There's a legal contract between them, even though they are not living together yet and they're not having sexual relations yet. So they are considered in that fashion. Now here, understand this. We look at Joseph. Here is Joseph's great turmoil and trouble in his heart. At what point is Mary found to be with child? Well, we read in verse 18, we see it was before they came together. Before they had come together. Now, 
Joseph and Mary, they had been faithful in keeping themselves pure, following God's word before marriage. But now Mary is pregnant all of a sudden. All of a sudden, she's pregnant. She's with child. Now, could it have been obvious that she was pregnant with, when Joseph found out? It's possible. I tried to determine, and I'm not real sure exactly what point uh, Mary tells Joseph about this news. Now, it's possible she could have told him before she went to visit Elizabeth. Now, if she tells him before she goes to visit Elizabeth, that means she's going to be gone for three months, and Joseph has a few months to stew on this and be thinking through what's going to happen. But if she was to come back, if she hadn't told him, and she comes back after that, that means that Mary would have been about three to four months pregnant. It would have been visibly obvious that she was pregnant because when she found out that um, Elizabeth was pregnant, Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy when Mary was, received her announcement. And then right after that announcement, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And how long does Mary stay with Elizabeth? She stays with her for three months, according to Luke 1, verse 36. So we find there's a time frame there that Mary stayed with Elizabeth. Now, whether Joseph found out before or after Mary's trip to see Elizabeth, regardless, it really doesn't matter, one way or another, Joseph's world has just been turned upside down. Mary comes to her betrothed husband and says, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. This is something, I, I, honey, I'm with child. Can you imagine those words coming into Joseph's ears? He knows that this is not his child. It's not his. He knows it's not his. And he naturally can only conclude that Mary must have been unfaithful to him. His hopes are shattered. His heart is broken, confused. The turmoil in his heart must have gripped him. I know it would have me. Now that brings us to letter B. We see the consideration for Joseph with all of this is divorce. This is his option. This is what he's looking at doing is divorcing her. I mean, this is shocking news. Imagine what's going through his mind. I know that if I was engaged to Bethany and she came to me and said, Honey, I'm pregnant and I knew we had not been together, it would have been game over for us. I would have known she had been unfaithful to me. That's the natural conclusion. And what else could we have expected Joseph to think? Now, no doubt Mary assured him, Joseph, I have not betrayed you. I have not been with another man. I have not been violated by another man. I have not been sexually with anybody. Mary would have no doubt described her encounter with the angel and the message that she heard. She would have told him that the child was, was miraculously conceived in her and that she's carrying the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. But could Joseph just believe such a story that has never happened in history before? Would any of us have, uh, if, would any of us have placed in his shoes believed that message? Probably not. We probably would have doubted that message. See, everything Joseph thought he knew and believed about Mary was turned upside down. There is only one natural conclusion in his mind, and that is that Mary has been unfaithful. So naturally he's thinking, what are my options here? How do I move forward with life? What do I need to do about this? Now, here's the options. If Joseph believes Mary's story, who else would believe it? For his own sake, for his own protection, maybe he needs to break off the betrothal. Otherwise, he looks like he's been impure. But if he broke it off, Mary would then appear to be an adulteress and face the penalty of the law. Jesus knows that according to the law, Mary 
could be under capital punishment. Now, here's what the law says in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 22, verse 23 through 24. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so shall you purge evil from your midst. That was according to God's law in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting is that in God's providence, though, Joseph lived in Joseph and Mary lived in occupied territory of Roman rule. And with that Roman rule, the Jews did not have authority to carry out the death penalty, although sometimes they did if there was a, a mob rule. So there is a danger there, but there's also providential protection there in a sense of the day and time in which this comes to happen. So what is Joseph thinking about? The right thing in Joseph's mind is to divorce her, to give the bill of divorcement and just end it even though that would be a shame. You look at verse 19 and notice what happens. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You notice that Joseph at least does not want to make this some big, nasty, drawn-out thing. He's a just man and he wants to not, he wants in a merciful way to separate from Mary without making a big, big, big show about it. He's trying to do something in a very quiet manner. So consider this for a moment. This is, in Joseph's mind, this is the end of what Joseph thought to be the beginning of a beautiful rest of his life with a wonderful wife named Mary. Think about his feeling. Think about what he's experiencing. But that brings us to number two. We see the truth of Joseph's dream. The truth from Joseph's dream. And I love how, how, how God brings all this to pass and how that, how that he spoke to Joseph too. Notice, notice letter A, that the angel gave clarity to God's providence. The angel, here through his dream, through this message, gives clarity to Joseph about God's providence and all that he's experiencing and all that is coming to pass. Now, all of these thoughts must have been overwhelming his mind. He kept thinking upon them. As we look at verse 20, he considered these things. Well, when you consider something, it means you're processing it. He's processing the information. He's thinking about it carefully, reflecting on it. And Now, I imagine that Joseph must have been burdened into the night thinking about this Major problem. You ever been so burdened and anxious about something on your mind and you're just laying there trying to go to sleep and you eventually fall asleep, but man, it was heavy. It just would not leave. A lot of times I can't sleep simply because my mind doesn't shut off, right? Uh, anybody else have that issue? I mean, that's me to a T. Do you think about Joseph here laying there at night? He's anxious about all these thoughts. He's considering all these thoughts and he finally doze off, doze, dozes off to sleep. And then what do we find happen? he would experience something marvelous. Experience something marvelous. Notice this. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, that's marvelous enough, an angel appearing in a dream. But what's even greater is the message the angel gives. The message the angel gives to Joseph, to Joseph about all that's happening in God's providence. Notice what the message is. It is the truth that Mary has not been unfaithful to him, but that what Mary told him really is the truth. The baby inside of her womb that's growing 
is indeed the promised Messiah, that she really is still a virgin, and that this is the fulfillment of what God had promised. It is the miracle of God. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, calling him by a name. It's a direct message to him, also indicating his Davidic lineage. But notice the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, evidently, fear was a factor here in Joseph's heart, in his mind, in his thinking. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, wouldn't any of us be fearful in that situation? Sure. Why should Joseph not fear taking Mary as his wife when she is pregnant outside of their covenant bond? And here's the reason in this verse. Because, the angel says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit. God's providence. Now, Joseph probably had the same question in his mind that Mary had when she heard the announcement. Remember Mary's question from Sunday? How can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I've never been with a man. How can this be? Mary could easily explain to him the same wonderful words that she heard about the miracle and how she came to be pregnant. We read Sunday, Luke 1.35, that Gabriel told her the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that thing that's born in you will be called holy and be called the Son of God. Now, this explanation describes a miracle only God could perform. Mary, Mary being told that the Son of God would be supernaturally implanted into her womb through the Holy Spirit, and He would grow in her womb and be born into humanity. How marvelous that is. How glorious that is. You see, this truth Joseph hears about this child is a truth that will change his life. It's a truth that will change my life. It's a truth that will change the world. The world forever as we knew it, know it. Mary was telling the truth to Joseph from the beginning. As unbelievable as it may have sounded when it first came through Joseph's ears, Mary was telling him the absolute truth. This is a miracle beyond what I can understand, Joseph. It's beyond what you can understand. It's beyond what we can understand. Nevertheless, it is the miracle of God. And so now Joseph gets that same message with some, some more insight here, which all ties into the same message Mary received. But you notice verse 21. Notice verse 21 that the angel tells him in this dream, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we've noted that most often parents get to pick the names of the children, but God has this one already picked out, and there's a reason for that. His earthly name would be called Jesus. Jesus is the Greek equivalent to Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. The name Jesus was given to sons as a symbolic hope for the Lord's anticipated sending of salvation through a Messiah who would purify his people and save them from oppression. You see, there were other Jews in that day that were named Jesus. But there's only one Jewish man that actually fulfills what Jesus actually means. And it's this Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus, the one here being born, who is salvation. You see, the child to be born, notice, he will save his people from their sins. This is a powerful point for us. The child to be born is a savior, and a savior is not a savior if he does not actually save. You see, Jesus came not to attempt salvation for his people. He came to accomplish salvation for his people. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You see, He would be the one that God promised long ago would come into the world and bring deliverance, to bring salvation. He would secure the salvation of His people by His atoning death on the cross. He would conquer the grave by His resurrection, giving them eternal life. This was the eternal plan of God's grace in sending the Messiah, coming to be fulfilled right here. If you look at a reference scripture in Galatians, this is a good one to jot down when we think of the providence of God's plan. Galatians 4 and verse 4 through verse 5. And notice what, notice what Paul writes to the Galatians. I like how he says this. He says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, and here's the purpose, the purpose of all this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, this is just in short, the big picture, when the fullness of the time had come. Why didn't Jesus come in the Babylonian era? It wasn't the right time. Or the Greek, or the, or the Medo-Persian era, it wasn't the right time. All of history, all that we see in the time of Christ, every minute detail culminates into this perfect time that God ordained that the Messiah would come into the world. We could look at all the facets that come into play with that. We don't have time to do that. But every detail, all the way to the point of Mary here at this point in her life and Joseph at this point in his life, all for the purpose of bringing about redemption. Notice that God shows Joseph even further confirmation in verse 22 and verse 23. Notice in Matthew 1, it says, All this took place to fulfill. God's laid out everything, and He's fulfilling what He laid out. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. What did the Lord speak by the prophet? Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. You see, Jesus would be the fulfillment of a prophecy God told through Isaiah nearly 500 years before Joseph gets this dream. Think about that. God predicting and ordaining in exact detail everything that comes to pass. This is what we mean by God's providence, that He is the He is the sovereign ruler, His unseen hand, orchestrating history and redemption in all things. And 500 years earlier in Isaiah, he wrote, Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now, did Joseph know the truth of such a passage? Well, he does now. He does now. You see, God was coming down among humanity 
through the virgin's womb to dwell among them. The Bible says, and the angel says here, his name is Emmanuel, and what's his name mean? What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You think about that God with us? That God is a, is, a, is a God that is near to His people. He's not just some distant being we're detached from and have no access to, but rather that God truly is with and among His people. Now, we see, we see portrayals of this throughout the Old Testament. God said He would dwell among His people in the Old Testament by means of the tabernacle, when He made them make the tabernacle in the temple. What was the purpose of that? Exodus 25, 8, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So, so the tabernacle was, 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 was symbolic also of the dwelling of God among His people. God would often promise His people that I would go with you and I'd be among you. That would give them confidence and courage and comfort. You think about the days of Joshua when they're conquering the promised land. God says, I will be with you. That's why they had the victory, because of God's presence. So so God would appear and be among His people in various ways throughout the Old Testament. But now, with the coming of Christ, God would visibly walk among them in human flesh. Not just in a place like a physical tabernacle or a cloud or pillar by fire or some other manifestation. This is truly and genuinely God among His people in flesh. John 1.14, we read this Sunday, the Word, that's Jesus, the eternal God, became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I find it interesting that the word dwelt here, it can be understood as to live, settle, take up residence. And it has further connection when you connect with the Old Testament and an expression of continuity with God's tenting in Israel. So it gives that imagery that, that when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, He tabernacled among us. He tented among us. He, he was w- truly among us in physical form. So that's what He does physically. But it gets even better when we consider that now Christ also dwells in us by His Holy Spirit, whereby He also is among us. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel. We've talked about this in Ephesians, but notice what's part of this. Which is Christ in I mean, think, think about the reality of what that means. Christ in you. You understand that the day you were converted, you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so that there's, there's not a moment through the rest of your life where Christ is not in you. Christ truly is God with us. He told that to his church in Matthew 28 before he ascended. He said, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. What a a blessing that is. You see, that that truly is what changes our life. Because the moment we met Christ at our conversion, he entered into our life. And when God enters a life, he changes a life. He doesn't leave it the way it used to be. 
It's ongoing, cultivating change. So we think about the impact of this message upon Joseph. He thought his life was changed in a very bad way when he shut his eyes and went to sleep that night. But now through this dream, through this message of God, he understood that God's providence has actually changed his life in one of the best ways imaginable. Best ways imaginable. His future wife is carrying the Messiah that their people have looked for and longed for for over a thousand years. Now, how many people need this same truth today that Jesus is the Savior of the world that came in this way? The incarnation, what Christmas truly is about. It's not about just a baby in a manger and a pretty scene. It's about God taking on humanity to save humanity from their sins. He's the Savior. So, so this message, understand, we look at what it's done for Joseph. Letter B, I want you to see that this message, it brought peace to Joseph's heart. Calmed the anxiety and turmoil that he was in. Now, Joseph, no doubt, he was in great turmoil. And when you're in turmoil, what do you want more than anything? You want relief. You want peace. If you've got anxiety, you want that out of here, right? You want relief. You want peace. And if anything were to give him peace, it would be this clarity of truth that comes to him in this dream. He had previously made up his mind that he's just going to quietly divorce Mary, and that greatly troubled his heart because that was not what he wanted to do wasn't his original plans before he found out that news. But now Joseph sees the unseen hand of God at work. And the angel says to him, Do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. You see, he needed no more more to fear that. Because now he's at rest. He's at peace with what he's heard. Proverbs 12.25 tells us this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Ain't that true? But a good word does what? Makes him glad. Makes him glad. You think Joseph got a good word here? <laughs> Absolutely he did. Absolutely. He heard the best word he could have possibly heard, and it made him glad. Despite this glorious dream and clarification, did Joseph understand every detail about how everything's going to play out? Did he understand all the intricate details of how Mary could conceive being a virgin? No, Mary didn't either. We don't either. It's a mystery, and it's marvelous. But what Joseph heard and what Mary heard was a message that they were called upon to believe in. Joseph is called upon here to take the message from God by faith, something that every single one of us in this room are called to do. You and I are called to believe the Word of God and follow Him by faith, not by our own sight, or our own natural reasoning. One of the great texts that always brings me to this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let me read this to you. This is a great one to hide in your heart. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. I think we see that in action with Mary and with Joseph, what's coming to pass in their life. You see, we are a people who walk by faith in the revelation of God's truth, which is His written word for us today. We do not walk by sight or our own understanding. If we do that, we will inevitably find ourselves in troubling 
troubling positions. We are called to trust the Lord in this way. And when we trust the Lord, when we walk by faith, what is it that comes to us in our heart? It is indeed peace. Peace. Rather than this anxiety that Joseph had. Now, I probably could have put this passage of Scripture in there as well, but Philippians 4 and verse 4. Paul tells the church there, I believe it's verse 4, maybe verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know what follows that verse? And the peace of God which surpasses understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what faith is. Faith does that. So here's what Joseph has done. He's taking God at his word. He had faith in God's providence despite his finite mind that can't wrap his head around all of it. So this dream clarified the truth for him and brought him peace within. Now we see his commitment to God's providence. What does Joseph do? Number three, and I'll close with this one. Notice with me. Notice the testimony of Joseph's life. The testimony of Joseph's life. He was committed to following God's providence. That's the plain truth I want you to see from Joseph. He is committed to following God's providence in this whole scenario. Joseph makes a decision he would not regret. He would obey the words of the Lord and be committed to Him in His providence. Look at verse 24. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Now, can you imagine Joseph waking up from that dream? You ever had a dream that was just so vivid and one that really almost really impacted you in a way, and you wake up from it, and you realize, wow, I can't believe that was a dream. I've had many of those. Well, we may have had a vivid dream, but none of us have experienced what Joseph experienced. Imagine him waking up and, and realizing that, that, that all that Mary had said to him was true. Imagine him waking up from that dream. He couldn't wait to talk to Mary again and come to her and say, Honey, the Lord came to me in a dream. Everything you told me, it's true. It's true. I believe everything that's going on here. Now, I think this also brings us back to Mary. Imagine the relief for Mary when Joseph tells her. Hey, God spoke to me and told me what he told you. I imagine Mary was probably a little anxious about Joseph. What's he going to do? How's he going to react to all this? But now they could move forward happily into their marriage. And this is exactly what Joseph does. He took his wife as his own. Now, Joseph, he had great faith and patience. Even after they were married, by not having any sexual relations with her, till after Jesus' birth. You look at verse 25. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. This abstinence was essential both for the purity of Mary, but also the fulfillment of prophecy. She'd remain a virgin all the way through until the birth of Christ. So Joseph knew the importance of all of this. He's committed to God's providential plan in their lives. Notice with me, letter B, he was privileged to have a role in Christ's life. He was privileged to have a role in the very life that Jesus would live. Now, this, this, is, this is a privilege beyond comprehension. We notice in verse 21 that the angel told Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus. He told that to Mary, but this is also showing that 
Joseph, you're the, you're the one who's going to be the man in the family. You're the one who's going to be the husband to marry. You're the one who's going to be the foster father or the stepfather, the earthly father to Jesus the Lord. You know what that shows us? That shows us that just as Mary was the chosen vessel to be the mother of Jesus, Joseph was also the chosen vessel to be the earthly father of Jesus. He was chosen for that role. Now, what would that role entail? Well, just a few things here. It would mean Joseph as the father. He'd be the physical physical protector of Jesus as he followed God. And we see that in chapter 2, don't we? Herod makes a decree, we're going to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. What's God received from Joseph? Direction, get out and go to Egypt. They go down to Egypt, Joseph gets direction back when it's safe. Come on back up to Nazareth. Joseph is leading in the protection of his family and this child. You read that in Matthew 2. He'd be the provider for Jesus and the family. He was a carpenter. We read Matthew 13, 55, when they're questioning about Jesus. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? He would be a teacher to Jesus and would train him as he grew on up into manhood. We learn that Jesus followed Joseph in his trade. Mark 6, 3 tells us, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? Calling Jesus the carpenter. So, so Jesus worked and learned this trade. You imagine Joseph raising Jesus teaching him how to make a table or a chair or work with wood and all these things that many of us have done in our own earthly life. You see, Jesus was known as Joseph's son by those who did not know him as God's son. That was part of their, that's part of their hiccup. They think this is Joseph's son. John 6, 42, then they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? That was a big hiccup for them. They thought he was just another earthly guy. Little did they know that Joseph, he was an earthly father, but he was not the biological father. But yet Joseph had a tremendous responsibility of raising Jesus on into his manhood, on into his at least teenage years, I suppose. Fathers make a huge impact on their sons, and Joseph had a tremendous impact on raising the son of a living God. Just think about all of that. How all this changed Joseph's life forever, knowing that he's having an influence on the son who came from heaven. Now, we don't read much about Joseph later other than in Jesus' earthly life. Many theologians believe that Joseph must have died at some point before he began his ministry. Joseph's not mentioned as being alive throughout the ministry of Jesus. Mary is, but Joseph, he's not. Which leads us to believe most likely Joseph knew what it was like to lose an earthly parent. We know he must have lived long enough for him and Mary to have had several other children. Matthew 13 tells us they had at least four other sons and sisters. Also for Jesus to enter his early teenage years. Luke 2 tells us Jesus was about 12 years old and his parents, plural, Joseph and Mary, they were looking for him in Jerusalem, right? When he was left behind at the temple, stayed back. So Joseph was alive at that point. But at some point between that time and Jesus' ministry, Joseph left the scene. Most likely he had passed on from something. But outside of these early accounts, we don't read of him. But despite that, he was vitally important in the raising of Jesus. 
Now, at first, this news of the pregnancy of Mary, well, that turned Joseph's world upside down. But little did he know that that moment later, it would change his life forever. Change his life forever. He was changed by God's providence. But not only was he changed by God's providence, we find he was committed to God's providence. And that really is the point we take home with us. Are we committed to God in his providence? We trust him. We follow him. Because Christ truly, if he's in us, he's changed our life forever. And we're to walk by faith and live obediently unto him. 